Good morning. I would like to extend the, the welcome that has already been uh, put out by Brother Richard and, and Brother Carl. It is just so good for us all to be gathered to here together. It's good for our, our, uh, for our members to be here and to be provoking and to be encouraging one another, stirring one another up. Uh, but it is equally good for our visitors that are here with us. It is such a, a pleasing uh, sight to see you here, and we hope that you feel as if you are an honored guest amongst us. I want to continue our focus this morning on something we started last Sunday. You know, sometimes in life we have crises that, that we must go through. Sometimes you might have heard of a midlife crisis where you feel like, I've, I've gone halfway through my life now, and I... I what, am I, what have I had to show for it? What do I have to, uh, to show that I have done and, and the things on my bucket list that I haven't scratched off yet? When am I going to have the time to do those things? Sometimes you have a quarter-life crisis. I'm halfway to the halfway point. What have I had to show? And then sometimes we have identity crises where we just forget who we are. What is it that I stand for? What is it that I am doing here? That's what we started to talk about last Sunday, an identity crisis. We need to remind ourselves who we are and not forget what it is we are to be doing. And so last week we looked at the fact that we are the body of Christ and what that means for us as, a, as that identity, if that identifies us as the body of Christ. And that means we have responsibilities, responsibilities to each other as individual members and responsibilities to the whole and that means that we must be disciplining ourselves. And we've talked much about that word disciplining and being followers. We do so to make ourselves pure. And we do so to make the church pure. To make sure that we don't have our lampstand, our light snuffed out. And so as we continue this thought, this morning I want us to, look, to focus on the fact that we also have another identifier. As we are not just the Lord's body, but we are also the Lord's army. And we have been given direction from the great commander. So my question this morning to you is, that, is this. And my question to me is this. Are you serious about the Lord's marching orders? Are we determined to save souls? Do we take that seriously? I'm not talking again. Uh, I'm not talking to, to people in the world. I'm not talking to people in other congregations. I am talking to us Individually, the congregation here at large, are we serious about saving souls? Are we serious about helping people go to heaven one day? Jesus has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do we take that charge seriously? When we read the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, when we read that, are we determined to save souls? Are we determined to help people get to heaven? Because in the great book of Matthew, I want you to notice that there are three great C's. Three great C's in the book of Matthew. <clears throat> and if you haven't figured it out already, Matthew is going to be a, a, a key spot for us this morning. In fact, if you want to open yourselves up to the book of Matthew, specifically Matthew 28, you can just put a marker there because we're going to spend a great deal of time there. But in Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 16, we read of one of the three great C's in the book of Matthew. Matthew 16, 16 says, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The first C that I want us to think of when we think of the book of Matthew is the great confession. That's the first C that I want us to think of. But there's a second great C in the book of Matthew. That's found over in Matthew chapter 22. 
Matthew 22 and verse 37, we have the great commandment. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Matthew 22 verse 37 tells us that. But also in Matthew, we'll find the third great sea. That's in Matthew 28. We have the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, continuing in that mission. Brothers and sisters, we, when we think of the Great Commission, when we think about saving souls, when we think about helping people get to heaven, we need to think about who Jesus is. We read in John that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so, our desire to do these things is fostered by our love for God. And our desire to do His will is fostered by the love of the Lord. And now we see going back to that commandment, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. But ultimately, ultimately it is fulfilled in our determination to do what God has told us to do. Go and make disciples. And one thing we need to understand is that God loves souls. He loves souls so much that He sent Jesus. The only way that He could save souls, He sent Jesus to die for a lost and a sin-sick world. And because God loved the world so much, and because we love God so much, our desire as His people ought to be to heed the marching orders, to heed the directions of the Lord, to listen to the Great Commission, and to take that very seriously. Not just from a first century perspective, but from a 21st century perspective. Because the world we live in really is lost in sin. People really are dying in darkness and in doubt. And we need, as God's people, to be determined. To be determined to do His will. Before we start in Matthew 28, turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Before we go into this great commission, we need to understand... uh, something that was very important, a back setting to Matthew chapter 28. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 26 and notice in Matthew 26 verse 32. Matthew 26 verse 32. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, He begins to speak of this important meeting that is going to take place in Galilee. He says in verse 32, But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, a lot of times when we read that verse, we don't necessarily think, when we read this passage, we don't think so much about those words. Those are very important words. That's a passage we might want to over, uh, highlight or circle or underline. That's a very important passage. Oftentimes we read this and we skip right over that and go into Peter and Peter's response to these words and, and the, the fact that Christ tells him, you're going to deny me. But, but this is very important here. There's a meeting that is going to take place in Galilee. And when we read that, that may not mean a great deal to us right now, but that meant a lot to Jesus' disciples. In Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus tells His disciples they're going to be scattered, they're going to forsake Him, and when the soldiers come to arrest Him, we see that that happens exactly as He says, but Jesus tells them here in verse 32, He says, I am coming back, I am going to be risen, and I am going to go before you to Galilee. Again, we need to find that in our Bibles. We need to highlight that. Where is Galilee in context here? It's a question we should be asking ourselves. 
And Galilee is that region up around the Sea of Galilee. It's where everything started for Jesus' ministry. That is the northern part of Israel. And you might remember that Jesus and his apostles in Matthew chapter 26 are not in the northern part of Israel. They are in the southern part. They are down in Jerusalem. There is a difference of around 70 miles of travel here from between these two places. That's kind of similar to maybe if somebody tells you today, you're going to need to go to Louisville. I'm going to meet you in Louisville. You go on over there. The thing is, that's not an insignificant trip to them. To us, that, that trip doesn't seem like that much. We're going to hop in our car. We're going to be there 45 minutes to an hour. Traffic's bad, maybe an hour and a half. This isn't some short little trip. This is a, a journey. This is significant for these people this time. It's a commitment. Go make this trip up to Galilee. Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in Galilee after I have risen. Now, turn over to Matthew 28. And look what happens when the women came uh, when the women came to the tomb and they see the angel and they talk, and he says in verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Again, there's this Galilee again. We need to mark that. We need to note that. It tells him in verse 7, he's, he's gone, he's risen, he's going on the Galilee, you need to meet him there. So again, we're being told, you're going to have to make this trip. Don't forget this. This trip is important. You've got to go to Louisville. You're going to have to make this trip. And again, this is not an insignificant trip. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some commitment. So again, in verse 10, we see Jesus appears to them. And in verse 10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Yet again, these words appear. And then over in verse 16 of, of chapter 28. Verse 16, we read this, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. They went away into Galilee to where Jesus told them to go. Why or what is this telling us? In Matthew 26, verse 32. In Matthew 28, verse 7. In verse 10 and verse 16. What is this telling us? It's telling us that Jesus set up a very important meeting with his disciples. A, a very consequential meeting. And I want you to make a journey, Jesus said. I want you to go back to our origins. I want you to go back to where everything began. And I'm going to meet with you there, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to talk with you about something. And here's what he's going to tell them when they get there. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What did He give them? He gave them marching orders. He gave them direction. We are the army of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 tells us as much. Talks about our, our weapon that we have, our defenses that we have. We are the army of God. And every army has a commander. And every commander who is worth anything gives his army orders to follow. He doesn't leave them out to just mill around and do whatever they desire. He gives them orders. And we need to be good soldiers of Jesus' army. Good soldiers who listen to the commander. Good soldiers who heed the marching orders that he was given. <clears throat> what I'd like to do this morning 
In this passage, I would like to spend some time looking at the details of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. I would like to assess the nature of the marching orders that have been given to us and His people. And when we do that, I want us to notice the very first thing is the basis for these orders. What is the basis for our marching orders that we have been given? The orders are go make disciples of all nations. But on what basis should we do that? We see that in verse 18. We look at verse 18. It says the basis is the authority of Jesus Christ. That is the basis for our orders. But notice how Jesus says it. It's very important to pay attention to His words. And it's kind of surprising if you stop and you think about it. Because here Jesus says something that seems very blatantly obvious to us. He says He has authority. But we know He has authority. We assume that He has authority because He, he has created everything that we see. As that it takes authority. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 tells us He is the Creator. He made the heavens and the earth and all the spiritual beings and all the human beings and the animals. Jesus created all of that. John chapter 1, verses 1-4 through four tells us He was in the beginning with God and all things were created through Him. And so of course... He has all authority. But notice what he says. He says all authority has been given to me. That's kind of curious. That's a kind of curious statement. He's already the creator. So how is it that authority has been given to him? Hold your finger here for a moment. Mark this for just a moment. We're going to jump out of Matthew 28 for a second and go over to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, we read a little bit about in what sense authority had been given to Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 fill us in on what's going on here. Philippians chapter, chapter 2, verse 8 says this, speaking about Jesus, says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so chapter 9, or verse 9 goes on to say, for this reason. That's the why for what just happened in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Maybe your Bible says therefore or wherefore. When we see those words, those are quantifying that previous statement. It says, for this reason. Jesus, although He did not have to do it, took on human flesh, came to this world and died. He obeyed God until He died. He never committed a sin. For this reason, it says in verse 9, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. Matthew 28, verse 18, tells us authority has been given unto me. Philippians 2, verse 9, tells us authority was bestowed or given to Him by God. Why? Because He was obedient even unto death. Because He lived and committed no sin. How was authority given to Jesus? It was given to Him by God based on the work that He fulfilled for us. He always had authority because He is the Creator. Again, Colossians 1.16 tells us that. But in a very special sense, Jesus is given uh, given us the great commission by beginning with the words, I have given all, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. When did that happen? It happened at the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. God exalted him because Jesus was faithful. God gave him a name which was above all names. And starting in verse 10, 
He goes on to say that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It's talking about submission. So the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Now those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, we serve a commander who has all authority, both in heaven Angels and principalities and spiritual beings are subject to him, as 1 Peter 3 tells us in verse 22, and on earth. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us the very kings and rulers of this world are subject to him. He has total authority because of the work that he fulfilled. He died for our sins, and now God has exalted him, has lifted him up. So when you read Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, all authority has been given to me. And heaven on earth. There is very real significance to the word given. When we read that word, we are reminded Jesus Christ died for me, and God has given him authority in all things. <clears throat> so, what is the implication for that? What is the implication of that for you and for me? When it comes to our marching orders, when it comes to the directions that we have, friends, no one, no one has the right to tell the church what to do. Jesus has all authority. Jesus is the commander. And you and I as God's people are to fulfill His orders. So no human being can rise to power and say, well, you know, I have now become the commander of the church. I have become the, the vicar of Christ on earth. I'm going to make laws. I'm going to make decisions for the church. Brothers and sisters, that's not the way it works. Now as I read those words, as I say that, maybe you think to yourself, yeah, that's right. And there is somebody that lives like that. There is somebody with that title. He calls himself the Pope. I've even heard that it's stated on his hat, in place of Christ, to stand in place of Christ. Well, no. That's not who I'm talking about this morning. So if you remember... As I said last Sunday morning, as I talked about this morning, I'm talking, I'm talking to us here today. I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. I'm not talking about the Pope because the truth is any and every one of us can become a little vicar of Christ, a little Pope. When we start to allow our emotions or opinions to sway just what God's will is for the church. Maybe you've heard it said before, this is what I believe we should do. Or this is, in my opinion, the best course of action. This is the way that I feel things should be done. Brethren, we must remember, we are not the commander. So that means, and I say this with as much love as possible, and I say this to you and I say this to me, it doesn't matter what I believe is the best way. It doesn't matter what I feel is the right way. It doesn't matter my opinion because we have been given direction from our commander and we must follow it. But not only that, but also when you look at the authority and the orders which Jesus has given based on the authority that He has, people in our lives, people that, that we come into contact with and we are friends with and people in the world that we might come into contact with, they will say to us, what gives you the right? What gives you the right to talk to me about my life? What gives you the right to come into my house and to say what I'm doing is displeasing 
to God. Where do you get off doing that? What gave you the right? Who gave you that authority? Who made you the one that should tell me these things? This passage tells us, Matthew 28, all authority comes from our commander, from our director. And not only that, when we think about the authority of Jesus, He has authority over me, He has authority over you. And He tells us what is most important to do with our lives. And so I want to tell you something this morning. No matter what you do in this life, no matter what you rise to, no matter, no matter what you, you have under your belt, if you become the, the greatest CEO of a business, if, if I was to become the, the most popular preacher there ever was, no matter what you come to do in your life, nothing is more significant than helping somebody else go to heaven. But the fact is we must do it His way. Not ours. The authority is His. Because we want to obey and please Him, we need to respect His authority. And so the basis for our marching orders is this. We serve a commander who died for us. But then we get to number two. When we look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 19, we notice that there is a mission that Jesus has given us. The mission is to make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, we've talked about that quite a lot in the last couple of weeks. A disciple, the word itself literally means a learner, a follower, an understudy. That's what a disciple is. How do you know when someone is a disciple? Is that something that we can measure? I will tell you, yes, it is something we can measure. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said himself, every disciple becomes like the teacher. In all things. So how do you know when somebody is a disciple of Jesus? When you see Christ in them. That's how you know. When you see them, when you see them making decisions and having attitudes and actions that look like Jesus. That's how you know when someone is being a disciple of Christ. So when somebody is willing to obey God even when it costs them something, that's discipleship. When somebody will respect God's authority, even when they have every reason to do something else, to do their own thing, that's discipleship. When somebody will have the character and the attitude of Christ, even when it's going to cost them personally, it's going to be hard, that's discipleship. And that's our mission. Go and make that. Go and make disciples. That's what God commanded us to do. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Go and make disciples. Stop for a moment and just think about this. There are three parallel accounts of what we're reading right now. First one, obviously, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And that deals with the teaching aspect of Christianity. There's teaching that must go on if we're going to make disciples. But over in Mark chapter 16, in verse 15 and 16, this is another account of this, of this section, of this great commission. And in Mark... <clears throat> And Mark, the passage there deals with the preacher and the hearers. The preacher and the hearers. The Great Commission is fulfilling our marching orders and it has to do with telling others about it and it has to do with their response to hearing the Gospel preached. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, 16 does that. Then there's a third parallel. Over in Luke chapter 24. Turn, turn there just for a moment. Luke 24, verses 46 through 49. In this account of the Great Commission, we are revealing the scheme of redemption. 
in the Great Commission. This has always been God's plan for the world. He always wanted souls to be saved. And so Jesus talks about the great plan of God and how it was written in the prophets that the Son of God might, uh, must suffer. And now, He says, you go and you tell the world about what I have done for them. When you think about the Great, uh, great Commission, we need to think about teaching. We need to think about preaching and about hearing the Word. We're not going to do very well fulfilling the Great Commission if we never create opportunities for the Gospel to be heard. We also need to remember that it is a divine plan of God. It was, not, it was not something that was created by accident. It was not something that was hastily thrown together. It was a divine plan of God set in motion even before God said, let there be light in Genesis chapter 1. Luke twenty two forty four says, These are my words which I have spoke to you while I was still with you. <clears throat> that all things which are written for you are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high." God wants us to fulfill our direction, fulfill our marching orders, and our mission is to make disciples and to make people into followers of Christ. And notice in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says this is how you're going to do that. There are two ING words. Two ING words, and I had Miss Paula make sure I was right on this a couple weeks ago. Those ING words are called participles. And when you see participles in the Bible, they're very often telling you how something is to be done. Those two ING words are baptizing them and teaching them. Those are the participles that we read of. So we ask, how do we make disciples, Jesus? What is it that you desire of us to do, Jesus? And his answer is, I want you to baptize them. This is the first part of making a disciple. And then I want you to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That is the second part of making a disciple. You can't make a disciple with just one half of that equation. We can't make a disciple just by teaching them the things that Christ has said. We can't make a disciple just by baptizing them and not doing the teaching. God has commanded us to make disciples. And He talks about baptism and how that's important and essential element. Baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Immersion in water is the way that someone that is outside of Him comes into a relationship with Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 3-6 through six tells us that. In fact, it's the moment. It's the time somebody becomes a New Testament Christian. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Galatians 3, verse 27 says, It is when we are baptized into Christ, we are putting on Christ. So baptizing people is an essential element of making disciples. The thing is, there are people in the world today that will teach that that's just not that important. Or that's, that's not what is needed. It's a good thing. It's a sign that shows others. But that, that's all it is. They ignore the significance of baptism. We can't do that. But you know, we also can't do the other half of that equation. We can't ignore that people have to be taught. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded them. Brethren, Christianity is a taught religion. 
It is not something that we just, we just get. We're just mysti- mystically just planted into our heart and we get all of Christianity. We are taught Christianity. We take God's commandments and we write them on our hearts and we live them in our lives. James 1 says that is being doers of the Word and not just hearers only in verse 22. Acts chapter 20, verse 27 says we listen to the whole counsel of God's words. Not just the parts that we like. Not just, you know, I'm reminded of the Thomas Jefferson Bible where he went through and, and cut out with an exacto knife uh, or whatever kind of knife that he had. He cut out all the passages that he didn't like. That, that's not going to be in my Bible. We think that's ludicrous, but we do that. We say, I, I don't like this passage. I, I'm not com- comfortable with this passage. We need to listen to the whole counsel of God. And we must be, as God's people, we must be interested. And as Jesus' disciples, we must be interested in every word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 tells us, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God has commanded us to be disciple-makers. That is the mission we have been given. That is the task that we have. Making disciples and then helping disciples grow up. Those are marching orders for the church. That is the mission. Number three, we also see that we are given the scope. When we receive the word, uh, what is written, 28, uh, 18 through 20, <clears throat> Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. Maybe here are some logical questions that we could think the apostles, the disciples asking at that time. would say, okay, Jesus, how much of this do you want us to do? When can we stop? When can we consider our orders fulfilled? Those would be logical questions that might come to our mind whenever Jesus gives these instructions. Notice what He says. He says, go into all the world. When should we stop this, Jesus? He says, when all nations. When you go and make disciples of all nations. Now, just just for a second, we need to step away and we need to remember the context of this passage. Matthew is a book written by a Jew. Matthew was a Jew. And he was writing to a Jewish audience. And he was writing about Jesus who was a Jew. So it is a book written by a Jew about a Jew to the Jews. So everything that he says is written in that context. And to the Jews, when we read of all nations, we need to hear two words. We need to hear Jew and Gentile. You know, whenever we, we fill out a survey, if you, if you go and... You have to do a background check or something. One of the questions they ask is, what ethnicity are you? And you've got all these lists that you can, you can check. If we were to do that same survey in the first century with the Jews, they'd have two boxes. They'd say, are you a Jew or are you a Gentile? Are you, you in or are you out? That was their world. That was what they saw. Jesus says, you go and you take the gospel and you make disciples of all nations. In the first century way of thinking, Jew and Gentile encompassed everybody. So Jesus was saying, you make disciples of everyone. I want everyone. And that is a revolutionary idea to a Jew. In fact, we see that they didn't even understand it. They didn't even get it until all the way over in Acts chapter 10 when Peter finally is, is, is persuaded to go and to speak to the Gentiles. And as he goes and he starts to tell them about the gospel and to tell them that they need to be baptized. We see that they are baptized. And all of a sudden, Gentiles have received salvation. And we see Cornelius and his household. And then we see the church start to teach Gentiles. Not just Jew, but Gentile as well. 
when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, it took people a little while to realize exactly what he had in mind. They were a little slow getting to the party, but once they got there, once they got to it, once they understood what God's plan was, that everybody needs to hear the gospel, everybody needs to appreciate God's love for them, everybody needs to know what he has done. Once that happens, the early church took the marching orders that Jesus had given them, and they did some incredible, incredible things. And I'm not talking about things that sometimes seem incredible today. I'm not talking about soup kitchens. I'm not talking about building elaborate gymnasiums. I'm not talking about these things like that. I'm talking about sacrificing everything for this mission, giving up everything. When you think about incredible things, I don't know about you, but I think about Paul. What on earth would motivate a person to go to a place uh, to a place and to, to preach the gospel and they're going to drag you out of town and they're going to stone you until they don't think you're breathing anymore. Yeah, he's dead. Let's go back into town. We took care of that problem, uh, problem causer. But he wasn't dead. And he gets up. And on more than one occasion, he went to the next city and said, I'm going to do it again. What motivates a person to be beaten and to be shipwrecked and to be left for dead and to say, I will continue on. I will keep doing these marching orders. What would motivate someone to live that way? Think about what he says in Romans chapter 15. In verse 20, he says, I have made it my aim to preach Christ where it has not been named, lest I build on the, on the foundation of another man. Paul was saying this, it's a whole lot easier for me to stay over here where it's already been started. It's a whole lot easier for me to stay where things are going smoothly. We've got a good foundation started and we're just building. He said, but my job is to go over here where they haven't even heard of it. They don't know anything about it. And I'm going to preach it there where it is most dangerous, where I am most uh, possibly going to suffer a, a affliction. That was his decision. What would motivate him to do that? I'll tell you what motivated him to do that. It was the marching orders given by Jesus. When he said go into all the world, Paul was serious about that. Jesus said make disciples of all nations. Paul and other apostles and other disciples in the first century, they took Jesus as his word. They took him seriously. And so today in the 21st century, do we take that seriously? Here in Nicholasville, Kentucky, it may be very easy to look to look at the people around us, people that are culturally like us, maybe people that, that share similar thoughts as us, and to take the gospel to them. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll take it to our neighbors. We'll take the order seriously then. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm not discouraging that at all. In fact, we got to do that. We must be doing that. But it's another thing when it comes to going into all the world. And that doesn't necessarily mean leaving Nicholasville, Kentucky. When it comes to reaching everyone that we might have an opportunity to come into contact with, even, though, even those that are, that are obstinate to our, to our way of thinking, those who have a different background, if we will do that, we will find that we are going to make inroads. We are going to make paths for the gospel to go where it has not yet gone. And we might be tempted to think, well, wait a minute. We live in the 21st century. Where has the gospel not gone in Nicholasville, Kentucky? 
I'm going to tell you right now, there are, there are tons of places the gospel has not gone. There have been versions of it. There have been those who talk about parts of it. But the true gospel, the true message of God's love for us and His redemption from man and His wrath of sin and His plan to set people apart and save them, to make them a part of his, the body of His Son. There are people in this world, there are people in Nicholasville, Kentucky that have never heard that message. When we go and we try to make disciples of all nations, we are making paths for the gospel to go to those places that is not gone. The marching orders that we have been given are universal in scope. Go make disciples of every nation. Go make disciples of the people that are like you, the people that think the same way as you, the people that do the same things as you, that are culturally the same, their language is the same. Make disciples of those people. But also go make disciples of people that maybe do not come from the same country as you. Maybe have a different background as you. Maybe even come from a country that is hostile to your country and your way of thinking. To people who have different language, yes, take the gospel to them. People that have a, a different outlook and a different background, yes, take the gospel to all the world. Take the gospel, make disciples of those people as well. And again, wait a minute, what gives you the right? What gives you the right to go to another culture, to go to another religion, Hindu, Buddhism, whatever you want to pick, what takes you, gives you the right to go to them? Back to our basis. The right to tell them that they ought to obey Jesus is because of the authority that He has. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and He wants all people reconciled to Him. He doesn't just want Americans reconciled to Him. He doesn't just want a small percentage. He wants all people reconciled to Him. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God gave Him the ministry of reconciliation. And it should not be lost on us that that ministry that He gave God, or that He gave Christ, as Christians, as Christ-like, we contain that ministry as well. The same ministry that took Jesus to the cross is the same ministry we preach of bringing people back to God. The same ministry that caused Him to suffer, and to go through difficulty and the pain is the same ministry that we have today. In fact, did you know this? That when you read the book of Acts, the gospel never, I want to repeat that, the gospel never makes progress, never breaks ground in a new area without suffering. Read through the book of Acts. See if I'm right. Test me on that. See if you can find a, a place. The gospel never went to a new country. It never went to a new region, a new people, a new area without somebody who carried the gospel and suffered. And so it is the New Testament Christian today. It involves us taking seriously our Lord's orders, taking seriously the scope of those orders to all nations, to all people at all costs. And number four, and lastly... What I want us to see in Matthew chapter 28, specifically in verse 20, is that there is a promise affixed to these marching orders. The promise is this. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Christ says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus says. Those are His words. That is His promise. And I'm telling you, I, I love that promise. Because that is a promise that has history. 
That is a a promise that has a background affixed to it. That promise is a statement that is repeated throughout history. I am with you always. Did you know when, when God said to Moses, go and go back to Egypt and go tell the, the, the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses was fearful and he was afraid to go and to do that. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, he said, go talk to Pharaoh. What did he say? He said, I am with you. If Moses had said, no, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay right here. This is where I'm, I'm comfortable at. This is where I want to be. Do we think that God would have been with him in that? No, it was when he was going to fulfill the direction that he had been given that God said, I will be with you. <coughs> Excuse me. Joshua, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, when they stood at the borders of Canaan, and God said, go in and conquer it. And he was speaking to a, a very human and a very fearful man. God saw that and He said, I will be with you. I am with you. Go conquer the land. And again, Joshua couldn't say, well, God, you know what? We're just happy over here. We'll just stay out here in the wilderness, God, and you be with us there. He said, no, I'm not with you there. I'm with you when you're doing my orders. That... That is God's trump card. When God is talking to a reluctant and fearful worker, that is His trump card. Our, our, our boys like to play Uno. And they, they just love that game. And I'll tell you, I, I despise it sometimes because it can turn on a dime. You can think you have won. You're right at the end. You go, I know the outcome of things. And then you're getting ready to lay that last card down. And they go, and They usually say it like this, bam. That's the way they like to say it. Bam. Here's... Here's the wild card. I'm going to change the color. And guess what? You've got to draw four. Nothing is what you thought it was. This is God's trump card. When people are fearful and afraid and they say, I, I, I'm just not for sure. I know how things are going to turn out. I don't know if I should follow. God throws that trump card down. He says, I'm with you. Bam. Get up and do what I've told you to do. Follow my orders. He says, when you get serious about following my orders... And again, by the way, that's not optional. Just like Moses and Joshua couldn't say, no, no, we're, we're good over here, God. We can't say, you know, this is not going to be a part of my Christian experience. I'm going to do these things, these things, these things. But that one, that's not a part of, of the plan that I'm selecting out for me. can't do that because this isn't an experience. This isn't a, a customizable package that we can pick what we like. This is a life that we are called to live. And when God says, when you get serious about living this life and fulfilling my orders, I am going to be with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And then He doesn't give you any more. Did you notice that? Matthew 28, verse 20. Where's verse 21? I'll tell you what. I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that wants a verse 21. I know other people that read this verse and they go... That right there, God's with me. I don't need to know any more about it. God's with me. But me, <laughs> I want to know more. I want to know the details on this. I have to ask myself and I have to choose, can I, can I live with that? Can I live with not knowing? Because He doesn't tell you where and when and how and who. He doesn't give you the results. He doesn't give you the why. He doesn't give you the plan. Man, I would love to have the plan. 
I would love to know exactly when I'm going to come into contact with someone, and I would love to know how that contact is going to end. I would like to know the end at the beginning. That's why we can't, that's, that's why we can't watch series on Netflix, because I like to go to the very end and know how, it, how the last episode plays out. I want to know how things are going to end. But God doesn't give us that. I don't get that. You don't get that. All we get is this. He says, I will be with you every step of the way. I will be with you always. Can we live with that? I'll tell you right now, it's hard, but that is still a great promise that I love and I can absolutely live with that because I know the history of that promise. I don't have to know how. I don't have to know why I want to. but I don't have to because I know that promise carried a man who couldn't talk very well and who was fearful and who, who, had, who had killed people and who had, done, who had done abandoned his people to go all the way back to Egypt and say before the most powerful man in the, in the area of that time, you have to let my people go. You have to let God's people go. It carried a young man who had seen all of his comrades uh, die for the last 40 years, all the people of his age who didn't obey God to, to stand at the borders of this great and powerful land and say, God is with us. We're going to go in. We're going to fulfill our mission. That promise is powerful. And I can live with that. Can you? We need to notice. We need to notice in this section. There are a lot of alls that are given. A lot of alls in the Great Commission. We are told all authority. We are told take it to all nations. We are told to teach them all things that have commanded you. And we are told that I will be with you always, even to the end of age. Brethren, God has given us a tremendous promise. But He has not given us explanations. He has given us a promise of abiding presence. And when we decide as God's people, as disciples of Christ, that we are going to be determined, we are going to make it our goal to save souls and to help people go to heaven, when we are being the church that, that makes it that goal, that, that's going to be our mission. This is going to be our basis, our mission, our scope, our promise. When we are that church, Matthew 16 tells us nothing, not even the gates of hell can stop us. Nothing can stand in our way. We need to take seriously the Great Commission. Predicated on the great confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the great commandment that we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Brethren, we have our marching orders. Look at what the first century church did. And let's ask the question, what could God do through us with the same dedication, with the same fervor, with the same evangelistic zeal that we see in that first century? Go ahead and take your songbooks out. In just a moment we'll be singing number 326, Trust and Obey. That's exactly what God calls us to do. To trust in that promise and to obey our orders. We always want to think about, we always want to offer at the end of every sermon, at the end of every, every op possible opportunity that we have, heaven's invitation. 
Maybe you've been thinking about becoming a disciple. Maybe you've been thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. He said two things. You need to be taught. You need to be taught. You need to be baptized. And then guess what? You've got to be taught some more. It doesn't stop there. That's what it means to follow Him. So this morning, if you know what you need to do to become a child of God and you know what you need to do and why you need to be baptized, we would be more than happy to assist you in that and to help you start that walk in your life. If you've already made that decision and somewhere along the way you, you realize that this mission that, that you've been given, this, this order that God has given us, we, we've slacked off on that. We've not be, been doing that. And it's time for me to start that again. It's time for me to get serious about being a soldier of Christ. Then I encourage you, take this opportunity now. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.